I invite you to open your copy of God's Word to the book of uh, to the book of Mark, chapter three. Mark chapter three. This morning we'll take in that likely familiar passage of Jesus' mother and brothers coming to get him in the midst of his ministry. Begins on begins in verse thirty-one. Goes to the end of the chapter. Before we read and go to preaching, let us seek the Lord's blessing again on this time in his word. Please pray with me. Father, your word is wondrous, revealing you, your kingdom, your righteousness, and our sin, our desperate need, and the way of salvation. Father, thank you for kindly condescending to us to speak, to offer to us communion with you and redemption from our sins. This we desperately need. We pray that this morning as we spend time in this passage together, we would see at least something of your kingdom and of your glory and goodness clearly and be rightly drawn to you through your Son, by faith, that your work in us may continue and grow, and that you may be glorified in your church. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark 3, starting at verse 31, this is the word of God. And his, that is Jesus, mother and his brothers, came... And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. The word of the Lord. The congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the most wonderful things that Christ came to give to you and me who trust in him is the gift of a new family. Jesus came to live and die that we might participate by faith through Christ in in the communion that we have with God and in the joyful communion that we have with one another in the church of Jesus Christ. This is not something that is provided to all people everywhere, but is a special blessing offered up through the blood and righteousness of Christ to those who know him by faith. It is a treasure to be cherished. And it is a family, brothers and sisters, that is more lasting than any of our blood families. It is a family that will live forever. It is a family that is spiritual in essence. A family that comes to us from God. And it's a family we receive in addition to the other family we were born with in this life, isn't it? 
Now, some here may have had wonderful earthly families. Maybe you enjoy such right now. Maybe yours growing up was not so good, to put it lightly. No matter how good or poor our earthly families reflect the character of God and of his kingdom, we can still see the greater everlasting value and beauty and breadth of the kingdom of God, which is also our family. And so it makes us, when we are saved, when we are born again, it makes us a people of two families. (laughs) And sometimes there's a struggle in our hearts as to how to relate one to the other. The natural families we have, identified by bloodlines and legal connections of marriage and at times adoption. On the other hand, we have the spiritual family identified by, by a common confession of faith, a common manner of life, a common hope in Christ, a common membership in his body, the church. So we've become a, a people of two families. And often it's not easy to negotiate these familial relationships. How should we relate to our natural families, especially those who have not been born again and are not members of the household of faith? How should we relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ and to those who are both blood relatives and members of the household of faith? We give praise to God for these situations. It's a blessing. But where should our primary allegiances lie? Who gets the first fruit of our lives? Where do we really belong and where do we, we do offer ourselves the greatest welcome? These are important questions, and thankfully God provides us with answers in his word. If we desire, of course, to gain clarity on any of these kinds of things, how to relate to our natural and supernatural relatives, we might say. We could say that we're supernatural relatives here. <laughs> we need look no further than Jesus, right? He has gone before us. He has blazed the trail that leads to glory. We are his disciples, and if we desire to go where he has gone, we must follow him. In our our passage today, the Spirit reveals to us how Jesus related to both of his families. Of course, he's the one who brought forth both. (laughs) The first as eternal God, foreordaining all things that come to pass, and the second through his through his redemptive work, bringing about the life of the church, that family itself. But he also relates to them, and there are things for us to learn here. He reveals what priorities he, owned, he had and in his own allegiances and what it means for us to be members of his family and to walk as he walked there. So two points for us this morning as we seek to learn from the example of our Savior how to relate to these families we have. Firstly, the privileges of being a member of Jesus' family. We want to look at that. What are the privileges of being a member of Jesus' family? And then secondly, the prerequisite for becoming a member of Jesus' family. So the privileges and the prerequisite. That will structure our uh, work in this passage this morning. Let's consider then, firstly, the privileges of being a member of Jesus' family. For that, we need to consider a little bit of the, the setting here. It's actually rather revealing that even the situatedness of where people are in this passage, as Mark brings it to our attention, Jesus is in his house, or perhaps in Simon and Andrew's house, uh, somewhere in Capernaum, up in Galilee. Verse 20 tells us that's where Jesus went with the twelve after making uh, them apostles. He assigned them as apostles, and he came down from the mountain, 
and, and then he came here. And this is uh, where he is. He's in the house, and all around him, verse 32 says, was a crowd. This crowd, we can assume, included the twelve, but it was evidently more than just them. This crowd was so large that no one could get into the house. And the passage tells us that someone was outside. Jesus' mother and brothers. So we have concentric circles. Jesus in the middle, then the crowd immediately around him, then the house, and then on the outside, Jesus' mother and brothers, his biological relatives. Keep that diagram, so to speak, in your mind. Those concentric circles moving outward. But there, Jesus was teaching the crowd inside the house, and this is why the crowd was sitting around him. For some reason, this crowd wasn't guilty of what we read about earlier in the Gospel of Mark, miracle mugging, where the crowd's interest in Jesus is merely to get physical healing for the body. They don't want to hear what he has to say. They run up to him and they just touch him uh, to, so to speak, steal a miracle. (laughs) And in his grace, he allowed many to be healed even in that way. We can call it miracle mugging. But these people were not clamoring to touch Jesus in this way. Perhaps they had already all been healed by the Lord or by his apostles. But here they are sitting around Jesus, quietly listening to him, listening to him proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God had come. That was his standard message. That was the essence of his message, even if he was using other vocabulary. He's teaching these people what the kingdom of God was like, that which he brought in his own presence to earth, and they were hanging on his every word. His family was outside. Mark tells us they sent to Jesus and called him. And the crowd told the Lord that his relatives were seeking him. They wanted Jesus' attention. Why? Well, if we were to look back at verses 21 and 22 of this passage, which tell us that that we we would learn, is they tell us that when Jesus' family found out that he and his apostles were so busy with ministry that they couldn't stop long enough to to take a a break and eat a meal, Mary became convinced that her son was out of his mind. His brothers thought he was delusional. What was he doing? Sacrificing his health to heal others' bodies and souls? They had no idea that he had come to lay his life down for the sake of others. And at this point in their lives, they did not believe in him. And they would not for some time. We learn this explicitly about Jesus' brothers from John chapter 7, which records events that took place much later than this in the life of our Lord. Some of Jesus' family, of course we know, eventually came to faith, certainly Mary and one of his brothers, James. But not even they could see the wisdom of God in his ministry at this point in time. They thought it was folly. And they came to save him from himself. Verse 21 tells us they came to seize him, in fact, and take him away. They came to feed him, perhaps. Son, you're not eating enough food. You know how it is. Let's get some food in you. They came to force a holiday upon him, to counsel him back to a more reasonable approach to life and ministry. They were frustrated outside. They couldn't get in to complete this mission they had, this seeking Jesus for his own good mission that they had. They told someone then, evidently, in the doorway who they were. Hi, I'm, I'm Jesus' mother, and these are his brothers, and we're here to get him. 
They passed a message to the crowd. Is Jesus of Nazareth inside? We really need to see him. Can you please pass this message along? Tell him we're outside. We're waiting to see him. Please have him come out to us. And of course, the crowd gladly obliged. They didn't make room for Jesus' family to make their way in. That would probably cost them an opportunity to hear Jesus themselves. They weren't willing to give that up. <laughs> but they, let, they would let Jesus know. So one person passed the message on to the next, likely. It would have taken maybe a little bit of time with many people becoming aware of Jesus' family's request. And finally, word reached someone on the inside of the crowd, perhaps near the front. No doubt, Jesus noticed a bit of commotion on one side of the room. Perhaps he asked what the people were whispering about. Well, however it happened, we don't know exactly, of course. But someone eventually stood up and said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Now, what do you think the crowd was thinking then? Almost certainly, they expected Jesus to stop teaching them and to go see his family. The most natural thing would have been for them to be preparing themselves for a disappointing pause. Or maybe the end of today's time with the Lord. It would have been disappointing, of course, to them for the Lord to slip away. But after all, this is his family, isn't it? Maybe you've had the experience of hanging out with your friends, perhaps around a campfire at night, and one of your buddies or girlfriends is telling a really fascinating story. The drama's progressing, the tension is rising, and you're, you're sitting on pins and needles wanting to discover how everything turns out in the end. And, and then you hear a car horn interrupt the tale, right? Coming from the street across the yard, it's your friend's mother. He or she says, sorry guys, i got to go. We're going to have to finish this one up later. What does everyone say? Oh man, I can't wait to get back to the story. It's a letdown. We've been there before. Well, imagine now that the one telling the story is the Lord of glory. The one who invented language. The one who is the word of God in the flesh. Every storytelling technique, of course, starts and ends with him. (laughs) He's the master of language. So he's got your attention. And the story he's telling isn't just about some little drama taking place in one corner of the world happening to someone other than you. The story he's telling is the greatest story ever told. And as Sally Lloyd-Jones would say, it's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales. And the best thing about this story that Jesus kept telling is it's true. And these people were awakening to the glory and the beauty of God's kingdom and how it was coming again and the redemption it was bringing to God's people and the wisdom that was coming forth and the liberty they were finding from legalism and the rule of the Pharisees over their hearts. All of this was coming, washing upon them. This could have been a very pregnant moment. Would the good news continue to be heard? Or would the crowds have to come back another day because Jesus' mother and brothers needed him more than them? Well, we know what happened next. Jesus did not slip away from the crowd to tend to his family's desires and answer their call. Instead, he stayed with the crowd. And he put this shocking question to them. This borderline offensive question to them. Who are my mother and my brothers? What? What 
he just say? It might have even been scandalous to some. Was Jesus failing to honor his mother by not going out to her? Was he neglecting his brothers? Was he rebelling against the very order of God for the family? Of course not. Jesus still considered them members of his natural family. He, he would still care for them in the Lord. At the end of his life, when he was hanging upon the cross, he made sure his mother Mary was well provided for, hang, handing her off to the care of the apostle John. He was a good and honoring son to the end of his days, always obedient to his parents growing up. But here, for him to submit to his mother and brother's request to abandon the crowd would have been dishonoring to the mission he received from his heavenly father. And so he could not honor that. He disregarded this request in full submission to the will of God. But we should understand how some would have been uneasy about his response. Mark doesn't tell us, of course, how his family felt when his answer made its way back outside to them, but it doesn't take a lot of imagination to think about what that response would have been. They would have likely taken offense. See how I rate. What am I now, chopped liver? I gave birth to you, and now? Well, we don't want to necessarily put particular things on Mary there, but we can imagine, however it came forth, she likely struggled with taking offense in this moment. Perhaps they even got hopping mad. Their plans are being frustrated. They're not getting through to him. He's really lost it now. Perhaps his answer mystified and humbled them. We don't know. But his words were not primarily for them. These words he spoke were primarily for the crowd. <clears throat> and what could these words have possibly meant? Surely we know Jesus wasn't ignorant of who his family members were. Jesus knew the faces and names and stories of those who were outside seeking him. When he asked, who are my mother and brothers, he's not being in the most literalistic sense uh, asking that question. He's not asking a simple, straightforward question here. He's taking this opportunity to reveal to the crowd his true family. And wonder of wonders, it included them. But what does Jesus mean here precisely? What, we might ask, does it mean to be a part of Jesus' family? What are the set of privileges that come with being included, amazingly, unexpectedly, in that category, under that banner of family. Well, if we think about this passage, we think about what's taking place, we can parse out a few things. We cannot possibly be comprehensive here. But I think there's at least three things that we can say uh, can be called the privileges of family here as Jesus offers and ex extends family relation to these in the crowd. <clears throat> and they, they are these three. The privileges, when in family, you have the privilege of other family members' attention, acceptance, and accommodation. This is ultimately what Jesus' family wanted from him, and it's what our hearts all need from the Lord. This is what they believed he owed them, Mary and Jesus' brothers. They believed at least this, that he would give them his attention, that he would spare them some time and hear them out. That's family. 
On my phone, I've assigned unique ringtones to my wife and to my parents and to my brother. (laughs) And I've done that because I want to know if they're calling me. My phone makes a different sound when it's my wife calling, and I don't miss those calls unless, you know, absolutely necessary. But the rest of you, when you call, it's just kind of a regular ringtone, and I'll get to you as soon as I can. But family, there is an increased level of attention I'm obligated to give to them, and I desire to. That's a part of family relationships, to give attention to one another above and beyond other people. So that's one of the benefits that we have in family. And so is acceptance. Certainly Jesus' family accepted, expected, I should say, to be accepted by Jesus. And what I mean by that is, is not only to receive his attention, but to be received by him warmly, with an open heart, charitably, not skeptically or standoffishly, but with thoughtful consideration. Not to just give attention like this, okay, all right, I'm listening, can you get on with it, you know. But to, to esteem what's being brought forward, to consider and to, and to truly hear out with an open heart. His family wanted him to receive them so that they could give him a piece of their mind. Even when we don't approve of what our families say and do, I dare say, we do ordinarily accept them. That's why Uncle Frank keeps getting invited to the family reunions, even though every year uh, he makes uh, a mess of things, one way or another. Maybe he says something inappropriate because he's had a little too much to drink. But he's part of the family. And so there's no denying that. And so the invitation gets sent even while everyone holds their breath. That's part of family. Uncle Frank gets invited to the wedding. If they're born of our blood or they've married into the clan or they're there in by adoption, then we accept them as one of our own. And that's acceptance. It's one of the ordinary privileges of belonging to a family. And so is accommodation. Now here, I don't merely mean that we make room for our family in our homes when they're in town, although that, you know, hospitality is certainly a part of this, I suppose. But um, I mean that we make adjustments or allowances for our family members' preferences or needs. We, We oblige them. We respond and adjust to their needs and even to many of their wants. This is what Jesus' family wanted from him. They wanted him to accommodate them by adjusting his plans to satisfy their concerns. He wasn't concerned with the things they were concerned with. He wasn't worried about getting enough, you know, food like they were, perhaps. He wasn't worried about the quality of his thinking, if it was right or if it was wonky, as they were. But they wanted him to be able to take into consideration their perspective and make accommodations to it, to to adjust his plans to satisfy their concerns, to take a break, as we've said, to get away, so they could feel better about where he was in life, so, so they could do their level best to ensure he was in his right mind, according to them. Sometimes we do things for family, don't we, that, that we, we, we don't do for anyone else. Over the holidays, you may have family members who will want to talk to you about things that you have no personal interest in. <laughs> but you'll have that conversation because they're family. You accommodate their interests or their preferences. Maybe it's political. Maybe it's about sports. Maybe about their latest hobby or adventure. And chances are you'll give them more of your ear than you would to someone else because you accommodate family more than others. Or perhaps you stay away from certain conversation topics because you know that it's just going to go south. And so you just stay away from it. You're accommodating. 
And we do it because they're family. Now, when Jesus says in verse 32, who are my mother and my brothers, I believe we can understand the gist of that question by rephrasing it this way. Uh, and again, this is just a, a little look into family here. Who among men has the privilege of my special attention, my acceptance, and my accommodations? Who on earth do I especially attend to, accept, and accommodate? That's a little bit of what's underneath this idea of family, I think. It's a very important question for those of us who know that these are the very things we desperately need from Jesus, our Lord, aren't they? We need his attention, don't we? You ever suffered from the fact that those who are called to love you the most are not giving you sufficient attention? Or even those who have just other obligations to care for you? We will never suffer that in the household of God. We have Jesus. This is exactly what we need from him. We get it. Heaven is open to us. Christ is continually interceding for us. He is attentive to us. Wonderful gift. We yearn for his acceptance. How many of the sinful patterns in our lives, the things we get caught up in that we wish we never would, we do because we're just trying to belong somewhere. We have this great need to be welcomed, to be embraced for who we are. And the world can't provide it. But Jesus is offering it here. Acceptance, belonging, welcome. Like David to Mephibosheth, we read about earlier in the service. What a blessing to be received, not into any household, but the one of the king. An accommodation. Oftentimes we, we use a lot of strategies to get everyone else to meet our needs just the way we want them to. How many conversations, husbands and wives, have you had with each other trying to get your spouse to live just the right way so they don't rub you the wrong way over here or do this thing over here that, that gets you going this way or that they offer you this kind of, of, of service in the home that you particularly appreciate, you know? Five love language kind of stuff. Make sure you love me the way I need to be loved. <laughs> We're always seeking for people to accommodate us. But what we need accommodated most is the desperate need we have for redemption. The desperate need we have to be delivered from the doom that we've inherited through our sin. And we know that Jesus accommodates this. He makes allowance for it. He meets that need on our behalf. This is a beautiful gift that comes to us because of his redemptive work, but also because we've become his family. These are the privileges Jesus asked about in verse 33, which is family, and the crowd assumed he would readily give to his natural family, but what did he say instead? Verse 34 tells us that looking about at those who sat around him, as I am now, making eye contact, Looking at each person in the room, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. One of the other gospel writers says, stretching out his arm, right? Indicating as he goes around the room, Here are my mothers and brothers. Right here in this room. Jesus is extending family privileges to the crowd who had sought him out. 
That's who he considered the proper recipients of his attention, his acceptance, his accommodation. Was Jesus, brothers and sisters, just being revolutionary here? Or was there a reasonable rationale behind this radical move? To redefine, as a sense, or to give a deeper meaning to family? What was it about the crowd that made them proper recipients of these family privileges? What was, we can consider now, the prerequisite of becoming a member of Jesus' true family? This is a beautiful, hopeful insight. Jesus tells us quite plainly in verse 35, he says, For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. That's the prerequisite for becoming a member of Jesus' family and of partaking of these privileges of his special attention, his acceptance, his accommodation of our greatest needs, and everything else that comes with belonging to his family, which lasts forever. Doing the will of God. You must do the will of God. What does that mean? Does it mean that you have to figure out what God has ordained for your life and make all the right choices so that your life conforms to his secret plan? Buy the right car, take the right classes, get the right degree, marry the right person, be in the right job at the right time, be in his will? No, that's a a false understanding of what the will of God means, first of all. No one can know all of God's secret will (laughs) anyway. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things that God has foreordained belong to the Lord our God, not to us, but to the the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the works of this law. Here, I think, is a better sense. Moving in the right direction. The will of God, saints, that we can do is a matter of responding to what God has clearly commanded in the Scriptures. That's what Jesus is referring to here. Doing the will of God means obeying God's commands. But I think we can narrow it here even more. Did he mean that we have to obey all the commandments perfectly to become a member of his spiritual family? Is that the prerequisite? It cannot be. Whatever Jesus meant by doing the will of God, hear this, it was something that those sitting around him were doing. And it was something that his family members outside the house were not doing. And the contrast between the crowd and Jesus' mother and brothers, what was it? It was their manner of seeking him. That's what distinguished his family from the crowd. So when Jesus uses this broad phrase, will of God here, he means it in a particular sense. We've already seen how Jesus' family was seeking him, but we can put it in a fresh set of terms. His family sought him out, we can say, believing he needed them to meet his needs for wisdom and life. Right? They thought Jesus needed them so that they could help meet his needs for wisdom and life. We're going to wisen you up and give you a better life. Straighten you out. 
The crowd, on the other hand, they were seeking Jesus out, believing they needed him to meet their needs for wisdom in life. Right? And this, brothers and sisters, is the primary thing Jesus means when he speaks of doing the will of God here in this passage. For the will of God for us, that which pleases God more than anything else, is that we honor his command spoken from heaven on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. That's what the crowd was doing. That Jesus' mother and brothers were not. It's a matter of choosing the better portion which Mary chose while Martha, her sister, cooked Jesus a meal in Luke 10. What was Mary doing? She sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And what did the Lord say to Martha when she complained that Mary wasn't helping her serve? He said, Martha, Martha, you were anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Beloved, one thing is necessary and is the fount of all other things. And it is this, to sit like Mary and this crowd at Jesus' feet and listen to his teaching with faith. One thing is necessary, to hear the good news and to repent and to believe. This is what the crowds were doing that Jesus' family was not. This is what Jesus meant here by doing the will of God. Does it include obedience to all of Christ's commands? Well, yes, that obedience flows out of this faith, this hearing with faith. But the obedience that follows faith, my friends, is not what makes us children of God. Or as Jesus says here, mothers and brothers and sisters of our Lord, hearing the good gospel news that Jesus proclaimed, believing his word, that is what gains us access to the privileges of his true spiritual family, privileges of his attention, his acceptance, his accommodations to our many needs among a myriad of other privileges we gain in Christ. And from that flows all of our, what we might typically think of as doing the will of God. And that's good news for sinners like you and me. Good news that the entrance requirement to the kingdom is faith in Christ. Recognizing he's got the wisdom you need. He's got the life you need. He's got the grace you need. You come to get from him, not to offer something to him. That's the characteristic that describes all those who are part of his true family. Oh, maybe I am in then. (laughs) I've got that. I don't have all the perfect obedience down. I don't have that. But the Spirit has given me enough confidence to say, oh, I know I need him. I know I have nothing to offer him. (laughs) Welcome to the family of God. Bruce Hollister, um, our regional home missionary, says it this way when he baptizes uh, a child. He speaks about our need to tell our children about the obligations of the covenant they've been brought into by baptism. And he says it this way, and what is the chief obligation of the covenant? It is to believe. It is to sit at Jesus' feet 
to listen with faith. This is fundamentally the foundation and the fountain of all of our obedience and our walking with God. We must understand the good news, right? And what are we hearing then? We're hearing about all that Jesus did for us. Now, these people were hearing it maybe in a cryptic way, maybe in a parabolic way. They were hearing about it, right? But what Jesus offers us is is himself. What he presents to us is himself and his kingdom and all the glorious benefits that flow from it and what it looks like for us to walk with him. This is salvation from sin and the gift of eternal life he teaches us, he reveals to us, and he gives us. So we must understand what Jesus did. We must understand our need for it. We must agree that it is true. We must entrust ourselves to him as our only hope. That is saving faith and is what the crowds depict for us today. Hearing the word of Christ with this kind of faith makes us members of his family. So this morning, brothers and sisters, friends gathered here, I call you, believe. Come to the feet of Jesus. Listen to him. Expect him to give to you what you could never give to yourself, what nothing in this world could possibly offer you. Trust that as you come to him this way, he will extend to you his attention, his acceptance. He will accommodate your greatest needs. He's done so in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. And you will be a recipient of these blessings. Now, for those of you who do believe, remember it well, that you enjoy these familial privileges with Jesus. Again, we can say it this way, not because of your works, not because, per se, of your, your spiritual pedigree, or because of how much you've come to know, but because of Christ's works, which he continues to reveal to you through his word and his spirit and with the help of his church, that you're receiving by faith at his feet. So what does this call us to? We who know this morning, yes, we are members of this family. We are doing the will of God as Jesus means it here. I am. I'm his brother, sister. Maybe for the older female saints, mother. (laughs) What does it call us to? Be humble. It calls us to humility. To be grateful to the Lord for this welcoming embrace into his family. And here, brothers and sisters, to recognize that everyone else in the church of Jesus Christ belongs to him and to his family the same way you do, on the same basis. Not because they've got their act together. Not because they're a stellar exemplar of wisdom. Not because... They're, they're, they're doing the Christian life the way you hope to do it. But because they know their need of Jesus, they know they have nothing to offer him, and they continually come to him for the life that they need in him. When you see someone looking that way, walking that way, you can say, brother, sister, just like Jesus did. We have a tendency to extend family benefits in the church only to those who can serve our needs, only to those who have some kind of personal affiliation with us. Jesus teaches us here, welcome the Mephibosheths into the church as your brother. If they're coming this way, as the crowd came to Jesus, treat them as family like Jesus does. 
Think of King David and all of his biologically uh, born sons sitting at the table in, in this glorious palace in Israel, Jerusalem. And he welcomes Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul, with lame feet you don't even want to look at. A shameful person who is hiding out. And Jesus, uh, David says, he's going to sit here at the table. Now you and I, we may have been in the kingdom for a while, and the Lord brings Mephibosheth into the church, who rubs us the wrong way here or there, but they're coming by faith in Christ. They've got a lot of hard edges that need to be rounded off, but they're trusting the Savior. They may have a long way to go, but they've been welcomed by the King. How will you and I receive them? How will Jesus want us to receive them? When we reflect upon the the requirements for family relationship with God, we realize, oh, (laughs) that's a little bigger than I was thinking it was. It's also narrower than some people think it is. It's not just anybody. (laughs) It's those who are coming to Christ as Savior and Lord. So we should not look down upon others who come to Christ just like we do. May no one among you think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And this is the will of God now for us who know we belong in his family. This is where the faith, the leaning upon Christ, extends further into that life of obedience, where will of God becomes fleshed out in the way we relate to one another in the church. Looks like this from Romans 12. Let love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Contribute to the needs of the saints, your brothers and sisters. Seek to show hospitality. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Be like David with Mephibosheth, Jesus with the crowd. This is how he relates to us. Because we are one with him. And the beacon of this life and hope that the Lord is cultivating in this church now will be one of the most attractive draws for those who are still outside. What does Jesus say? They will know you're with me when they see your love among the disciples. May that be his legacy here. May he be glorified through it. And may the Lord give you the grace to partake of these benefits of family in the church of Christ, which he came and died for. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the amazing privileges that come from being included in your family through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the new birth, which is manifested in our faith. And Father, thank you that you welcomed us. May we all be so overwhelmed with the inclusion we have received into your family that we would be humble and ready to receive anyone else who comes the way we have come, the only way one can come, by faith in Christ and by that alone. And may you see fit to make love and affection and association with those, Father, that we may in our own minds esteem as lowly and care 
May that characterize the life of this church, the very life of Jesus. And may it lead to this congregation's abundant growth. And may it be the cause of more and more praise to you, Father, throughout this region and the world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.